Welcome to the C3V podcast. Anybody in the room been to Positano? Okay, put it on your bucket list. Positano, southern Italy. Uh, you go down past Naples and keep driving. It will be better if you've got an Italian to drive for you. I have driven. My kids are still traumatized. I love it. There's no way, you know, everybody else around me had Maseratis and Ferraris flying past. What did I have? A, a Mercedes-Benz. Well, I did too, but, you know, I don't have a Mercedes-Benz. It was just happened to be the hire van. That was <laughs> you see, Patty and I were on a bus ride. Before I took my kids there, we went to Positano on a bus ride. And we were staying in Sorrento. And, um... You know, we knew, I'd heard about this road, I'd heard that, you know, it's a sort of <laughs> where eagles dare, you know. <laughs> I heard about it was a precipitous, uh, curved road, switch back, whatever, you know, and that it was narrow, uh, and that Italians drive like there's no tomorrow, and that's it. So Patty and I decided to take a bus ride. We... We thought that, <laughs> you know, we thought that the safer thing or the sane thing to do, before I'd got my confidence in driving in Italy, which I now have, and I wouldn't go on a bus or anything now <laughs> after this, but, uh, you know, so we go on this bus ride to Positano, um, and, but the problem was there was quite a lineup to get on the bus, and we didn't get a seat. So we end up standing up. Now, we had to stand for about an hour or so on this journey from Sorrento to Positano, um, and standing amid a whole bunch of other standing, disgruntled, sweaty tourists uh, for the whole length of the journey, you know. Uh, now, Patty suffers from motion sickness at the best of times. I suffer from impatience and, and also an aversion to sweaty armpits. So... Um, as the bus driver swung the vehicle to and fro around these hairpin bends um, uh, and, uh, you know, lurching too close to the precipitous drop-offs, um, it was kind of scary. And then, then he would brake and accelerate because the road was so narrow, there'd be oncoming cars who weren't braking for anything in the world and he would have to brake. This whole bus would lurch to the side while this car would pass in this little narrow you know, road, um, oncoming or, or whatever, and he, he, he had to kind of, you know, go with it. But um, we clutched onto the back of the seats, you know, it was a steady yourself um, against, you know, we were thrown against the perspiring peeps in front of us and behind us and holding ourselves from being thrown into the laps of those. You had a comfortable seat, by the way, um, uh, and, and by, you know, sort of, Two-thirds of the way through the trip, there are a lot of people wanting to get off that thing, you know. And uh, so some folks got off, and actually nobody blamed them. You know, like when somebody pulls the cord, <laughs> you know, I get it off this thing. Nobody blamed them, okay. Uh, it was like, okay, you know, uh, yes, yes, yes. But I learned something, that by persevering on that bus, Patty was as white as a sheet. <laughs> I'm saying, hold it, honey, hold it in, you know, <laughs> whatever. 
hang in there, lean on me, lean on me. Everybody else is, you might as well, you know. <laughs> Just don't move on me, you know. It's like, uh, you know, but we both learned something. We both learned something by persevering on that bus. Um, if we had only been in it for the ride, you know, if we'd only been in, you know, um, not having a comfortable seat on that torturous journey, you know, if we'd only been in it for the ride, it could have led us to conclusions and caused us to get out of the bus before we reached the destination. Now, the driver pulled up, still very, <laughs> very high up, but right on the edge of Positano. Now, Positano is in a sort of a narrow bay on the edge of cliffs, right? The bus doesn't go down into Positano. You've got this zigzag walk, you know, through this path to get down there. But the moment you stepped out of the bus and you started to walk down to Positano, suddenly it was all worth it. Suddenly we understood that sometimes you've got to go through hell to get to heaven, right? Now, I know that's very Roman Catholic with purgatory and all of that, but Patty does have that background. So, uh, so, but, but if you've been to Positano, you'll, ex you'll understand. You'll understand this magical place, historical place of pirates. Uh, that's why I was probably sent there by the Lord. But anyway, it's just beautiful. It's just extraordinary, beautiful place to hang for a day. Mind you, we went home on a fast boat, didn't we? <laughs> we caught the boat round to, round to Sorrento. So there's a story, right? Um, if you'd only been in it for the comfortable ride, uh, you would have come to some wrong conclusions. But uh, perseverance won the day because when we got out and reached that destination, Positano was a positive yes to us, you know. So what's all that about? So you've guessed, but this church has been on a journey since we've had the lifting of COVID. I think we've been on a journey through COVID, the whole COVID period. We've had extraordinary long lockdowns and then interruptive kind of on again, off agains and, and so on. And many churches in the area, some of them are only just starting now their regular meetings. This is very interesting because they saw the summer coming on. They knew, they knew that in our BC mindset, this, when the sun comes out, and especially we've been locked up for nearly two years, <laughs> uh, this is the season to go and enjoy. And, you know, Patty and I have always had this attitude around this time. Go, enjoy, uh, you know, get a tan. It'll take three weeks to rust off you uh, once the rain starts. You know, go, go now and enjoy. So we, we've never had a problem with that sort of summer if you like, um, uh, diminished in attendance. We've always held the fort so that others could. But, you know, there's been a slow comeback uh, from, from um, COVID, in some cases, a no comeback. Uh, you've seen it and you can see it. Um, diminished attendance because of summer and a beautiful summer that we've had and lingering a bit. Um, we've had leadership transitions as people have heard the Lord or, or uh, chosen to move on. Um, we've had the news earlier on in, in just at the beginning of July that the developers have taken over this whole block and uh, you can see the sign out the front of the building and have 
you know, we don't want to be here the day it happens, but a great big uh, swinging demolition ball is going to come down on this place. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's told us that we've got to shift out of here by December, by the end of December. So you, you put all that together and you're the pastor of the outfit and you've had seats going right to the back and you've had the place filling up. And, and uh, even in this period uh, since the comeback from COVID, we've had a sort of a breathing uh, congregation in terms of numbers. And here you are, here you're sitting today and there you are out there sitting at home listening. Come to church, please. We need you. But anyway, we love you. But the, po- the, the point is, I'm, 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 I'm not just painting a picture. I think you can see it. And, you know, I don't want us to run blindly on sort of, you know, it's okay, you know, it, it, it kind of is okay, but we've got to know where the source of our okay is for us to be able to say okay, all right? I loved what we were singing today. And my goodness, the last three weeks or more, the singing and the songs that have been speaking to our journey, just extraordinary. So I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative that the Lord is sort of doing something in the song, you know, for us, because I'll talk on this next week when I talk about some of the spiritual warfare that we're involved in. But singing, of course, is part of, I think, in the Christian context, part of the helmet of salvation, that which protects the mind, that which covers and governs our thinking, that gets wayward under the pressure. And under the pressure of the enemy, we start to make speculative thoughts and and wrong conclusions and so on. But we'll deal with that next week. Um, Please come to church. It'll be exciting. Um, but the journey <laughs> of this church this year um, has been a bit like that trip to Positano. And uh, we've been hanging on, Patty and I, for dear life. Um, and I'm sorry if I've used that term too much today, but it's been a ride. Um, yeah, so um, with all of that, all of these things converge. You know, I turned 70. I'm now the oldest living Teenager. I transitioned now in this period of my life to become a fossilized teenager. <laughs> well, Jude, you are a little bit ahead of me, right? You know, but yeah, 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 yeah. But you've got eternal youth, sweetheart. You know. <laughs> but you know what? I'm. Uh, I've turned seventy. I'm just. This. This is more of a serious fact, but it doesn't daunt me at all. But I am now, as far as I understand and know, and it's pretty informed, I'm now the oldest functional senior pastor leader of a C3 church anywhere in the world. Whoa! I'm bursting through the blocks. (laughs) But that only tells me there's got to come transitions. And I'm trying to sort of go slow as I'm trying to understand the season, but I know that when all of these things are happening, they're converging on something. You get what I've just said there? You know, it's not just a terrible thing collapsing. They're converging on something. We've got to understand the will of God. What is happening here We're from God's side of the fence? He never lost the plot, you know. You know, I said that from the very beginning throughout COVID. God, Jesus is not, he's not threatened by this. He's not sweating over this. Um, He's, you know, the devil will use everything and anything to get at us, to get us down, to bring us down. He'll, he'll, 
you know, he'll put disillusionment in there, he'll put wrong conclusions in there as we deal next week, speculations in there, all that stuff. But Jesus, no, 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 no. And the will of God will prevail. Okay? I'm not even talking from a hyper-Calvinist point of view, if you know what that is. He was a really nice guy, actually. I've sat in, sat in his, um, well, the cafe that he used to go to sort of place, you know, right there in Geneva. But, you know, the, the thing is, God is not upset in his program and his process and his purposes. I'm shouting like I've got a congregation of 500. But, you know, praise God. So what do you do? You know, you get all of this and all this hitting around hairpin bends and precipitous drop-offs, dangerous drivers screaming past. What do, you, what do you do when you're feeling sick and tired and this is tough and everybody else seems to have the right to get off and you can't? And you know, <laughs> you know What do you do? You say, stop the bus. What do you do? You stay on the bus. You get off the bus. There's a translation of a verse that says, in the midst of my anxieties, Lord, just pray. In the midst of my anxieties, man, it's been a journey. <laughs> but in the midst of my anxieties, the one thing that seems to happen for me is in my Morning hours, the Lord speaks. I'm useless in the afternoon. He doesn't speak to me in the afternoon. By that stage, the speculations, wrong conclusions and everything else are storming back across my, you know. But in the morning, I've got a kind of a freshness, an uninterrupted moment. I don't know what that is, but it, for me, it's very, very precious. And, and I'm not saying, suggesting... I'm holy by doing this, but I think it's a, it's a matter of being 70 that for me to get up at 4.30 and 5 o'clock is nothing regularly. It's nothing. I just, I mean, when I was, when I was your age, young people, 11 o'clock in the morning would have been just fine to roll out of bed. I'm not putting you down. But, you know, for me, now I have that moment with God. And in the midst of my anxieties, though, I've been able to pour out, journalize, write. Some of it is on the Way of the Sea, the Way of the Sea um, Facebook page. That's where I sort of put it in, writing out there sometimes. But this text has come to me so much in this season, and it's Isaiah 26. Let me read to you verses 7 to 9 from the message version, because when I read a Bible, a passage in my devotionals. I, I've got great apps here that do this on my Bible apps, but I will get parallel versions. So I will get the New King James, and the English Standard Version, and the, the Message Version, and the Passion Translation. And I'll put them together, and I'll read, because most of these versions have been translated by Scholar, well, they all have translated by scholars, New Testament, Greek and Hebrew as well, Old Testament uh, scholars. So 
you get the you get the varying point of view on what a word or what how the verse is supposed to read, but that's fine because you put it all together, you're enlarging and expanding, and so this is what I do. But I, I I've always liked the message version because of Eugene Peterson is just one of my most favourite writers. He's gone to be with the Lord recently, um, last year or the year before, whatever it was, and uh, you know just one of the most magnificent Christians of our era, and a tremendously scholarly. Uh, man who's given us so much legacy in his books and writings and of course the message version. So let me just take Isaiah 26, 7 to 9 uh, from the message version and let me, let me read it to you. Um, the path of right living people is level. Oh, I wish for that level road. But anyway, at that day when Patty and I were on the bus. But the path of right living people is level. The leveler evens the road for the right living. We're in no hurry, God. Well, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I could sort of say that authentically, but this is part of the process. We're in no hurry, God. We're content to linger in the path signposted with your decision. Who you are and what you've done are all we ever want. I can tell you, that's the cry of my heart, the cry of Patty's heart. We've never wanted to be or do anything else but the will of the Lord and to seek Him. When we were in our courtship and getting serious, we, it wasn't a game... It wasn't really lighthearted. It was quite serious. But we'd do this kind of scenario thing. What if? And one of the what ifs was, what if God led us to a ministry? Now, you've got to think about this because we're, we're Australians living in Australia. What if God led us to the backside of the desert to live and minister in a hot tin shack? And that was our life. We, we, I can remember that one specifically. I don't know what other dreadful ones there were. You know, what if God put us in a Fifth Avenue apartment in New York, maybe? But, but you know, the worst case scenarios. And quite honestly, we committed. Now, some, some go, that's, that's crazy. Well, I know somebody crazier than me, the Apostle Paul. Like, he was just, he wouldn't make it in today's society. He went through beatings, bruisings, bashings, shipwrecks, ups and downs. And at the end of his life, he says, all Asia's left me. All that work for all that time and all Asia has left me. He even says in his last letter, I'm disappointed because nobody turned up for my trial. You know what his trial was? The trial was to try and see in the Roman court in Rome whether he would be executed. And none of the church at Rome turned up to stand with him. Now, don't get all weepy. I'm not talking like this. Not me, you know. 
You want, you want an idea of the call of God? It's when Jesus says, follow me, and the guy says, hey, I've just got this, I've got to do this. You know, and Jesus says, well, that's okay, I'm just moving on. The call's still, the call's still out there. But you go and you know, bury your dead, marry your wife, milk your cow. Just make sure you get those things in the right order. But this is the... I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm taking liberties here this morning. I feel a friendliness in the congregation. But the call of discipleship was never, is the bus comfortable? Have you got a good seat? He says, through much tribulation you shall enter in. And he wasn't talking about that, you know, we get spiritual about that tribulation. It's like, is it just that, you know, there's going to come an antichrist and we're going to all be hounded around the countryside? Or is it, a, you know, what does he mean by tribulation? Well, tribulation is any kind of tribulation. It's stuff that bears down on your soul. And if you're going into the call of God, that's what you commit to walk in and through and process constantly. It never ends. There you are, I've just divested some of you of the call of God. But anyway, but it's when you, it's when you pass through that worst case scenario with your heart saying, Lord, it's all or nothing. I'm coming. Now you can't, you actually can't do an all or nothing. But you find in that commitment that God works on you and he sort of exacts his promise out of you. Think about that. See, you can't. You and I can't do it. There's, there's a text. I'll, I don't know what I'll get to it today, but next week it's sort of like everything that we've done that has been of you know good to the Lord. Actually, Lord, you did it. It wasn't because Fletch and Patty did anything marvelous, because actually we were ridiculously weak, struggling, and doing it half wrong. But the goodness of God is that He hears the cry of that heart, and He says. Yeah, well, I'm going to take you through more than what you think you're committing yourself to even. So I'm going to just read this again. Isaiah 26, 7 to 9. The path of right living is level. The path of right living people is level. The leveler evens the road for the right living. We're in no hurry, God. We're content to linger in the path signposted with your decisions. Who you are and what you've done are all we'll ever want. Through the night, my soul longs for you. Deep from within me, my spirit reaches out to you. Now, I've got to tell you, that, that part of this, there, this text is really the story of my last six months or more you know, through the night my soul longs for you. Deep from within my spirit reaches out to you. Patty says you've been groaning. You've been shouting. I remember one point waking up and I was going, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. The spirit never lets go of God. And then this text moves on. In verse 9, just the first part of it at this point, when your decisions are on public display, everyone learns how to live right. You see, at the end of the journey and the process, there comes something in God that then becomes instructive to us all and instructive to others. 
It's like God saying, see, I was in this. You couldn't see that when you were going through it. You could find the value in that, but see, you're going to draw value. Others are going to draw value from that. Now, in this season through, I call it divine sources. You can see the smile on my face. Okay, what's he up to now? But divine sources, preachers, you know, Pastor Bill coming in. Remember his message, go the second mile? You don't, do you? Well, you should, because you need to go online and listen to that. Uh, then before that, he came early in the summer, he said, let the church say amen. Gave this amazing story about a missionary person from China that he's had in his church. And so I, I would really, really encourage you to listen to those messages. Bill comes in as a pastor of pastors, a man sent from God who's not wised up to all that's going on, and he speaks some incredible messages. So I take that as being coming in from the Lord. See, for us, for Patty and I, church is not a game. It's, it, it can be fun. In fact, we like to think that church is fun, powerful, and relevant. But it's a serious business. It isn't a program. It isn't uh, a convenience thing. You know, it's not a cafe where you drop in, grab your coffee, say something from God or get something from God and off you go. It's, it's a participation of life and interaction with God and his purpose as much as anything else. And so that's why in this church there's some fundamental underpinnings about our whole idea of how we do church and why we do and why we stick and stay and carry on and do it. Because we come with this thing that we feel like the church is a God idea, not a good idea, that God put his word out, sent out his word. Somebody heard his word and said, yes, put up their hand, sold up their house and home and everything else and moved here. And it wasn't a, a, you know, a, a magnificent feat of bravery. It was just that corralling of the Lord into his will because you made those strange commitments when you were in your youth that you'd do and go and be whatever he wanted you to do. And so the church becomes an expression of a much deeper will than Patty and I. It's the Lord's will. And so we we live in this. We 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 believe this. So when we have a guy like Glenn praying in the weeks about what he's going to preach and we believe he's coming out of the closet with the word of the Lord. You know, it's not a, it's not, you know, <laughs> like our old mentor, mentor Kevin Connor used to say, it's not sermonettes for Christianettes. <laughs> it's not little, little platitudinous words, you know, you know. We, we try to say what we think God is saying. Now, we know that we're limited, so we prophesy in part, but the Bible even says that about us. But in there somewhere, if the listening ear he that has an ear, let him hear. Jesus said it over and over. And so we have divine sources. God sends a preacher. God sends prophets. I've got prophets in my life. I've got people who are highly prophetically gifted, who out of the blue call me, who send me something to say, Fletch, 
I really think that I got Fergus McIntyre who harangues me. And he hasn't lost one bit of his insightful encouragement from the Lord on our lives. I tell you, well, we're just last week. I mean, it's just, it's just Fergus just he's a hound from heaven. So I've got preachers, I've got prophets, I've got intercessors. You can see this in that one, the last post I put on the way of the sea. But you know, I get this call from a, a well, call, a text. It's a, a lady called Judy Theobald and Gladie Maligan. I'm going to make them famous in all the earth. They, they were around our lives for, well, Gladie probably for about eight years. Judy's probably been 20 years, 30 years ago. I, I, I met up with Judy and her husband in the 70s, and they connected, came into our church that we had in Australia before this, and I, I've just got to say frankly and honestly, I don't think I've ever seen a more um, powerful, connected, prophetically gifted, insightful intercessor, and uh, she, she just devoted herself to the church and the work that we were part of, and rallied others under her gift to be this amazing core of intercessors and you know when we left there it was like like feeling like we're letting go some of these very very powerful um, prayer people that are around our life and it's almost scary because you go and how's the Lord going to do for us now he has there's people here Adrian Judy there's been others in this church who who've picked this up as well but this Judy back in in Australia has become engaged with other ministries and so on over the years, and so that's been a priority. But right out of the blue in this season, she just sends me a text. And she says, you just got to know, Gladdy and I are getting together and focusing our intercession on you in this time, in this season. Got another intercessor called Sue, and Sue was in our life when we were teenagers, and Sue was, um, we were all singles together, and and so on, but Sue married one of my best friends in, in the church. We all sort of got mentored and discipled in. And, and um, again, our paths haven't been, we haven't, we haven't even really been, I don't know if we've seen them in 30 years, but certainly over 40 years we've been in different places. And yet Sue will give me a call, send me a text and say, I've been awake at night thinking about you. And she sends me a text, uh, Isaiah 26. Just when these intercessors are sending me Isaiah 26 texts, and I'm looking at them, Debbie Olson, who just seemed to be carrying me for some reason as another intercessor, sends me Isaiah 26 texts. And so I'm sitting there trying to escape this word that's leaking into my life through all directions. And I think I'll just get, get distracted. I'll go to Instagram and see how the preparations for the Queen's funeral is. And Canon J. John comes up. Guess what? Yeah, Isaiah 26. And, and the verse that we're going to get to at some point in this series, but, you know, the Lord will keep in perfect peace those whose imaginations 
has stayed upon him. You see, that's what I call the word of the Lord coming to you. You know, there, there are a lot of people trying to get away from the word of the Lord. You try when it starts coming to you. He knows how to put a billboard up there with your name on it. He knows how to get a, a number plate with a text on it. You know, he knows. The path is signposted with his decisions. We've just read that. And for me, the word of the Lord of Isaiah 26 has been on repeat lately. And from these multiplicity of trusted sources, even if Instagram is not. And when these multiplicity of sources come, like that in your life, you've got to say, God is saying, listen up. There's something in this for you. I learned a little principle. I went to a, a summer school with N.T. Wright this uh, early in the summer down in Waco. And, um, you know, he's very foremost theological uh, New Testament scholar particularly, but not only. And um, he makes this point. He says, Paul often quotes, the Apostle Paul often quotes a text. We don't even know that he's quoted it. It's, it's a phrase. It's not, and even those that can find out clearly that this is from Psalm or this is from Daniel or something. He said there are often just a simple phrase that even some Bible translators, they miss the point that Paul is actually referring to something out of the Old Testament. And my point is this, he says that when God, when Paul quotes a phrase or a text or a part of a verse, invariably, invariably, He's meaning the whole of the passage. And that if you follow Paul's train of thought, just a little quote is actually referring to the whole quote, if you like, a chapter, because chapter and verses aren't in the original, but the whole of the passage from which he's drawing what he's saying or writing in the New Testament. And I learned something in that, just that's how it is with me. Someone might send me verse 3, but the whole of the chapter starts to become alive becomes a, a chapter of exploding words if I go into it. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you these things so that we, we're united in our journey and understanding of what's going on, but also maybe to encourage you that that can happen to you. It's not just the pastor's right. You have a prophetic journey. You, you get up in your times with God and journalize and expect and hope and pray and lean and you know, you can have your bad afternoons, but try and have a good morning. Because in, incrementally, drip feeding, God's got a way of getting His Word into you. And my, I tell you, His words are spirit and life. So with all that's gone on, how should, <laughs> it's like, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How shall we sing in this season? You know? What's our song in this time? Is it a prophetic song of hope? Is it a funeral dirge? Is this the end of the ride? Well, Isaiah 26 is on me. So I, I answer the question by looking into the whole passage. Look at this. Isaiah 26, verse 1. I'll read the first three, three verses here, first of all. 
Again, from the message. At that time, what time? Well, I don't know what time, but at this time. This song shall be sung in the country of Judah. I know I'm jumping around having fun with this, but the word Judah means praise. At that time, this song will be sung in the country of praise. We have a strong city. Salvation city. (laughs) Built and fortified with salvation. Throw wide the gates so good and true people can enter. The amplified version of that verse 2 there is is, um, the one who remains faithful. Throw wide, open the gates for the one who remains faithful, who keeps trustworthiness. In other words, it's saying that in this time when all this is going on, we'll make this contrast next week, but there are two cities here. There's the city of confusion and the city of peace. There's the city of chaos, Babylon, confusion, that's what Babylon means, and the city of Jerusalem, which means the city of God's peace. And, 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 and in this time, it says, we have a strong city for whom the faithful and the trustworthy Go in. The gates are always open. The gates are always open. The entrance into the goodness of God is always open for the faithful, for the trustworthy. It's always open. There's a subtle messaging in that. Because outside the gate is confusion. It's not about this church being the only place. But I've never been led away from church, I've only been led deeper into it, yet I've been led out of a church to get deeper into another situation. You follow what I'm saying? We don't walk around the wilderness. Abraham went out looking, well, the scripture actually says, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going, but that's not the end of the text. The end of the text is, with a vision of a city whose maker and builder was God. He knew where the end was. He knew what he was going to. He just didn't know how to get there. That's the story of my life. You know? Because the vision is strong. The purpose is there. The will of God up there, yes, yes, yes. Look at this. Carry on in the text, verse 3. People with their minds set on you, you keep completely whole. This is that, you know, you will keep them uh, perfect peace whose minds are steadfast. The word mind is imagination, actually. Same word. People who with their minds or imagination set on you, keep completely whole. Steady on. Their feet are in that bus, but they hold on. Because they keep at it and don't quit. They depend on God and keep at it because in the Lord God, you have a sure thing. I've got to tell you, there are times in those afternoons when I think it's time to write the letter of resignation. (laughs) It's time to get off the bus. Pull the cord. But I love that, isn't it? Look how this text ends in verse 4. Depend on God and keep at it. Because in the Lord God you have a sure thing. How tenacious is that? Now, this business about people sending texts and when you get a text, 
and you get led into a text and the text starts to speak, it's usually got the whole text implied as well. And when I read through this Isaiah 26 over and over, because it just was coming at me through the various trusted sources, sane sources, when I got to the reading the chapter, I saw something in verse 19. And it's almost like verse 19 is like a little bit wacko. It's like, what's this got to do with this? In all your translation, it has that appearance. But here in the message, it goes this. But friends, your dead will live. Your corpses will get to their feet. All you dead and buried, wake up. Sing. Your dew is morning dew, catching the first rays of sun. The earth bursting with life, giving birth to the dead. Resurrection. This song of Isaiah is infused with resurrection expectation. And right there, the key is that verse 19. This is why the song in verse 1 is not a dirge. It's a prophetic song of great hope and joy. Because in verse 19 it says, Let the dead live. Sing. Your dew is morning dew, catching the first rays of the sun. This is the hope of the day. The earth bursting with life, giving birth to the dead. I had an aha moment, and I was writing this in my diary. I wrote these words. I was journalizing this in my devotional thing. And I'd just written this line, the resurrection empowers our present when it permeates our imagination. You might need some thinks to get that. But the resurrection of Christ empowers our present when it permeates our imagination. And you know, this is true, but it's kind of funny and it's a little weird. But I had just written that line in my musings here in Isaiah 26 and just sort of scrawling out empowers our present when it permeates our imagination. And the sun came up, whatever hour of the morning it was, the sun came up and the sun rays, there was the day we had the big smoke um, haze across the city and so everything was golden and red and the sun came up and the rays came into my room and lit up the room just like that you know the sun rays came but more than that my friend George Seagull was on his post outside my window and as the sun rays burst in and I'm just writing this and reading this George gets into full song now, he, he's, he's like me when he sings. He screeches. And I thought to myself, he's got this. He's got this. He's got this. Sing. Your dew is morning dew. Catching the first rays of the sun, the earth bursting with life, giving birth to the dead. He's got this resurrection expectation. 
And now I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, yes, this has got to get into my imagination. This has got to get into my thinking because my other thinking will tell me this is not where we get to get off the bus. Or the bus is going to go over the edge soon. I want to tell you, he's got this. Not George, God. But yeah, somehow the bird song in the morning, they do get it. When the sun comes up, the song goes up in the, in the dawn song. Please get this, people. Please, please. As few as we are here this morning, it's for you. And it's for all who listen in. But please get this. Jesus' resurrection empowers our presence when it permeates our imagination. And so when we think it's the end or the death, the resurrection life within us says, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. Oh, next week we'll ask that prophet question, can these bones live? Glenn had it in his message last week. You see, Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee of all our hopes in the gospel. It's the grand conclusion of the walk of faith. I got a cup of text and then we're going to finish. But John eleven twenty five message version again since this. It's that verse that says, I, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. But look at the message here. He's catching a nuance here that I think we need to really get. And, and it's this. You don't have to wait for the Lord. Sorry, I'm going to say it again. You do have to wait for the Lord. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. You don't have to wait for the end. You know, this is what it does. You're going around that bend in the bus and you're certain the end is about to happen. Well, put it another way. You've all got the theological thing down that as a Christian you're going to rise from the dead in the last day. So you got that down. But Jesus, he hasn't even gone to the cross yet. He hasn't even done the resurrection thing yet. He hasn't even started the new creation he hasn't even burst out of the grave to get this thing starting to permeate into humanity. He hasn't, he hasn't even got there yet. But in the story in the Gospels, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And I think that Eugene Peterson gets it right. You don't have to wait till then. I am right now resurrection and life. People, whatever you go through right now, with this side of it, even more so, he is the resurrection. And the life. What, what is in your life? What's my life? Where are we, where are we falling down? What are we you know, giving up on? What's happened to us? He says, Jesus says, you don't have to wait for the end. You don't have to wait for it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have it at the, in the millennium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end, yes, yes. I know, I know, I know, I know. It is a great hope, but let me tell you something. He's saying right now, I'm resurrection and life. Now, it's the spirit of resurrection, not intimidation who resides in us. Romans 8, verse 15, message version. Oh, listen to this. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's not given up. It's not a timid, grave-tending, it's not tenuous. Oh, what's going to happen? Or what is happening? It's not tenuous, but the verse goes on. It's adventurously expectant. You know, for me, the other end of it's not tenuous, it's tenacious. I love this. Peterson says, God is not a timid grave. You know, the life we have in God is not a timid, 
grave-tending life. It's adventurously expected. It's tenacious. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? What a progression of thought that Paul has in the book of Romans in this text. Not tenuous, but tenacious, but goes one step further, also audacious. What's next, Papa? All that's happened, all that's gone down, all that's still going down, all that's still sorting out, all that's still evening out, all that the leveler is making level. But because we've got a resurrection imagination, because we've got this idea that God raises things up that seem to go dead, because we've got this idea that things aren't at the end when we think it's, or we don't have to wait for some sort of lofty kind of long-term thing. That in our current circumstances, the dawn chorus sings. And if we have read resurrection in our imagination, it empowers our presence. We come out of the prayer closet. We come out from reading the word. We come out from the word of the Lord coming to us. And we go, okay, God, you can do this. How about you personally? Has COVID, has COVID closed down, closed you down spiritually? you walk with God in any way? I speak to people listening online. Has it closed down your involvement in the community of the redeemed? Has, is, is there kind of a payout for having done what was necessary to pivot from in-person meetings to online and now the devil is making wrong conclusions in mind? Because you never get past the ways of God. God's will is always consistent with His ways. And one of the things that this has really revitalized in me is that we have a resurrection God. I can't come to conclusions that unless God speaks, I can't come to conclusions that this is the end of the road. I've got to say to you, positano is a positive year. I've been there. Persevere. Has the rust journey been bringing certain conclusions? And so, before you allow yourself to determine the will of God by those certain conclusions, you know, the rough ride and all that, come back to the way of God. The way of God is resurrection. Can we say Jesus? The way of God is, I can do this going to. We are preparing a platform for our future in these few weeks. Absolutely essential, I believe, so that God can pick us up, shift us up. If this is all there is, that's all there is, but that's okay. That's all God needs. God can move people in and out and around about because He didn't, he didn't get, it's, it's, the whole thing's His. He sends someone else to another room. That's okay. But in this room, his will is being done too. Thanks for listening to the C3V podcast. To find out more about our church, visit us at c3v.ca.